I'm Dove Tusman. You're on equal footing. I am here this evening with my guests, Amanda Blaurock and Aliria Beju. We're going to be talking about immigration in America circa 2021, coming home, emerging from the darkness. It's been a sojourn in the desert for many immigrants, particularly undocumented immigrants in the United States over the last four years. And uh, hopefully, Amanda and Illyria, we had some audio difficulties there starting us off. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Yes, we can. All right. I'm sorry for that, and I'm sorry to our listeners. As many of you know, I've been on a uh, COVID quarantine here, so figuring out how to do the uh, broadcast from from home has been a bit of a challenge. Uh, Amanda and Illyria, I'm honored to have you on the show uh, you're both activists in an area that uh, requires so much hands-on work as well as high-level legal and policy work. And, and often the, uh, the volunteer work in this area kind of gets moshed together and is misunderstood. And there's so many opportunities for, for people to get involved and to be supportive of uh, neighbors and people that are in the process of becoming part of our American fabric. Amanda, I'll start by introducing you. We've known each other for many years. I've known you as one of the most extraordinary advocates that one can have in the legal arena. Uh, And your work over the last last number of years with the Village Exchange Center on issues related to immigration and integration um, has been really uh, something that I've been admiring from afar and have wanted to get you on the program for some time about. You're the executive director uh, executive director and co-founder of VEC, or Village Exchange Center, based in Aurora, Colorado. But you also have over 19 years of experience as an investor, as an entrepreneur, and of course, as I alluded to, as a lawyer. You, you've focused on international law, You've worked in the government sector and in the private sector. You've represented the United States of America on trade matters. You've represented Fortune 100 companies and international entrepreneurs. And you were interested in bringing your business and legal expertise to bear in bridging the gap between local and international communities. And it's it's an honor to have you on the show tonight, Amanda. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And you're joined by a colleague and a friend, Aliria Bejo. Aliria is a, a member of the Natural Helpers Program with Village Exchange Center, which we'll talk about. And Aliria, you're a, a seasoned trainer and educator, a, a passionate community act advocate. Uh, you're originally from Venezuela. I'm half Colombian, so we're kind of neighbors. Uh, You earned a five-year degree in education with an emphasis on teaching English as a second language at the Universidad de Carabobo in Venezuela, and you have over 20 years of experience as an ESL teacher teaching both children and adults. And Alidia, congratulations on recently celebrating becoming a U.S. citizen after nearly two decades of living in the country, teaching ESL and coordinating many school and community-based youth and family enrichment programs. Alilia, welcome to the program. Thank you, bro. It's an honor reality of, <laughs> of doing shows from home. I apologize. So I, I want to I start by uh, alluding to the 
NPR segment that I heard yesterday that brought tears to my eyes. It was a uh, a segment about a, a, a Guatemalan woman who's an undocumented immig- uh, immigrant who has been living in a suburban church for years uh, under the Trump administration because she was afraid of uh, either her or her teenage son leaving the grounds of the church and being picked up by ICE. And I feel like I'm relatively well-educated on immigration policy issues. It's something that's been close to my heart for nearly 20 years and in different in different ways from an advocacy perspective. And yet I, I didn't realize um, how severe things had had gotten under the just-ended federal administration and, and, and the extent to which um, advocates in the community are, are breathing this collective sigh of, of relief. Maybe, Amanda, you could uh, start us out just by table setting. For those that are listening that are not aware of what it mean, what it has meant over the last few years to be an undocumented immigrant. And I know you don't only work with undocumented immigrants, but what it's meant to be an undocumented immigrant over the last several years in, a, in America and how, how the, the shade may be lifting, how, uh, how people's uh, emotions and feelings may be uh, changed over the last couple of days. Sure. So, at this point, the Village Exchange Centers worked with this last year over 12,000 undocumented immigrants through a fund where we were giving cash assistance um, to these individuals at $1,000 per check and then also rental assistance. And it was a very interesting process. And Elyria is one of the leaders that worked on this program. And I'm bringing the program up because it allow you to kind of understand. And Elyria could, she's smiling at me, but the, the, the process of actually speaking to and calling an undocumented immigrant in this country and saying, hi, we are working on this fund and we have money to give you, was so informative for us um, as a organization, our natural helpers who were involved in actually doing this process, how many people hung up the phone or yelled at them or told them that this isn't true. And also the, the response by the community of being so overwhelmed with letters and calls and, and people just feeling like it was the first time that they were ever seen and dignified since they'd been in this country. Um, so it was a real telling experience to see really the impact that just $1,000 had on a community that never, they, they hear that they're going to get help, they hear that somebody is out there that cares for them, but many of them are living in severe fear and don't feel that they're dignified as human beings or, or as people who are equal in the United States. And Alida, you, you're working, as I understand it, on all the aspects of and I don't know if integration is the right word. I apologize if if that is is uh, is not the word that you use. But working with at least receiving immigrants and their families into the Colorado community, do you feel in in your work that since the election, or even particularly as the as the incoming administration has has begun its work, that there is a shift in attitude that there's an emotional shift or people still kind of getting a lay of the land? 
Um, I would say that people feel like uh, more comfortable um, with the new administration now that uh, there is not that fear um, anymore per se. I mean, maybe there is, it's there, but not in that, um, I mean, that huge like it used to be. Um, so there's still the fear there, but they are hoping for some change from some more equality for um, an inclusivity in inclusion right now with the new administration. And pardon my, my ignorance, and, and I don't mean to sound salacious with the question, but Amanda, what, what are people afraid of? It, 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 do you literally, at least in, in you know city of Denver or town of Aurora, do you have a realistic risk of how does it work? I mean, if you're an undocumented immigrant, you're walking down the street, can you be picked up without any other uh, pretension or suspicion by an ICE officer? Do people call, you know, people kind of call in people and say, I think there's someone living next door is undocumented. I mean, how, how real is, is this, uh, this, 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 this pervasive sense of risk? Is it grounded in, in reality? I believe it's grounded in reality. We have a local ICE facility um, that there's been many protests and riots in front of. Um, many of the people that we work with, we've recently brought together six of our natural helpers, um, five of which, five or four of which are actually undocumented immigrants. And they sat in our office and Illyria was there and spent two and a half hours crying and talking about the real fear every day of being picked up. And that could be fear of anything happening. When you're living, you have interactions with police. You might get pulled over. Uh, people are scared with their children that their children won't be there when they actually go to pick them up. This is actually happening and has happened, and, and there's a lot of hatred. We had a community member last year come in, and there was someone who just attacked her and her son, and she had to hold the woman down and call the police because she was attacking her, and she had bruises everywhere, and she was so scared of this woman and having to testify and she asked me to bring in the congressman so that we could actually talk about whether or not she had to testify against this woman who attacked her with hateful words. So it's a it's a real it's real for whether or not it's perceived or actual. I believe it's actual and I actually think whether it is or not people perceive that they are constantly in a state of fear and constantly in a state of being picked up and taken out of this country. And, 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 of course, there are going to be policy changes. There was an executive order signed yesterday, and I'm certainly not an expert on the legislative path. But in, in general, Amanda, do you, do you think that there's going to be a, a rapid rollback of, of ICE enforcement and a, a return, maybe not to the the first term of the Obama administration, but the second term, perhaps it's the enforcement protocols then, or do you think it's going to be a much slower role uh, for things to to return back to a less a less strict enforcement protocol? I do believe that there will be a swift rollback, um, especially at the border. But I also know from many conversations, and I, I don't know the actual laws, but I can tell you that a lot of what went on was happening before this administration. What went on 
in regards to immigration and deportation and a lot of the issues that we've had. So it's not just, and I always say this, it's not a bipartisan issue. Immigration has been, normally most people agree upon it and it's become very divisive. And I think the biggest change we're going to see is going to be in in dignifying and the perception that our community will feel when you don't have someone calling all immigrants, you know, MS-13s. You know, that that was like the opening speech of Trump four years ago. So it really set the, set the stage of us thinking of the us, meaning the United States, really having images of immigrants as bad actors and bad people who are in a line trying to get here and take over this country. And it just isn't true. So I think that perception will have, I mean, that communication by our new president will have a massive impact on the community and how they perceive that their world and their country sees them, which will allow them to feel more comfortable to go out and and believe that there'll be changes. Right. Right. Yeah. Words do matter. Participate in our discussion this evening around immigration in America circa 2021 coming home. There's certainly a change in the air. Uh, President Biden signed as one of his first executive orders, a, um, a rollback on, on some of the enforcement of, uh, of some of the immigration protocols. There's going to be a significant legislation that's introduced to Congress on the issue. We're joined this evening by Amanda Blaurock and Lydia Bejo, who work in this field with Village Exchange Center in the, Colorado, in the Denver, Colorado area in Aurora, Colorado. Our number to call in is 718-303-9090. That's 718-303-9090. And if you're shy about hearing your voice on the air, you can also text in a question at 917-428-4062. That's 917-428-4062. We'll take a break in a minute, but Alidia, we were pre-gaming a little bit uh, prior to the show, and... We were talking about some of the non-traditional challenges that uh, immigrant families have in being received here in this country. And there are certain ones, challenges that uh, that are talked about a lot, uh, finding, figuring out health care, uh, school for kids, uh, finding a job, etc. But others around, for example, mental health and cultural um understanding are i'm sure more complex when you're when you do your work as a natural helper how do you start how do you um help a family feel feel held what's the first thing you do to to set up a baseline of um of of reception and and physical and mental health i feel that building that up trust with the member of the community is very important so they can uh, open up to you and see and tell you actually tell you what what's going on so once you build that up connection with them and they open up to you i mean you're able to actually i mean refer them to resources in the community either if it is i mean for applying for a job at school looking for a school for their kids or getting therapy, mental health, health um, um, therapy. So um, 
so it, it depends. But, but what is cr crucial, very important, is to build that trust with the person you are connecting, you are interacting with. And do you have to do that in a, a manner where you have cultural resonance? I mean, do you only work with Latin families, for example, or can you build the same type of trust if you're working with an immigrant, immigrant family from Russia or from Africa? How does that practically work out in the organization? It's anybody, anybody. Um, and what is important is that you need to be, you need to understand that there is cultural differences and depending on where that person is from. So that's something that natural helpers keep in mind uh, when they approach somebody or when somebody approaches them for um, looking for help. Is there a sense of um, competitiveness, Amanda, between the ethnic and national immigrant communities that, that you work with? Uh, I, I guess to, to, to be a bit you know, maybe banal about it, uh, I, I imagine that within different immigrant communities there are um, judgments or um, presuppositions around the reasons for immigration some cases, whether it be economic or political, or how dire things really were at home, or like I deserve to, to be here more than you. I mean, do these do these things come up, and and if they do, how do you how do you deal with them? Yeah, so I would phrase it a little differently. Our our mission at Village Exchange Center is to celebrate religious and cultural diversity. Um, so, for instance, in the Village Exchange Center, we pre-COVID had the Oromo community of Colorado and the Ethiopian community of Colorado. We also had Bhutanese Nepali refugees that were Hindu, and then also a group that's Buddhist, and then also a group that's Christian based um, that are worshiping in our space. So we attempt to celebrate and hold space for diverse feelings, thoughts, religions, cultures, and really create a space where people feel like they're honored and valued um, without judgment on what's going on between them. And we try to hold the space so that we can actually allow communication, we can allow spaces that people could see one another and interact with one another. It's an actual space of inclusivity. It's not just talk. It's actually what we do. And when we have someone come to us and say, hey, but you should know this is what's going on right now in Ethiopia. And these what these guys do. I and mean, we just say, look, we will hold the space for it and we'll listen to them. But you actually have to do it in practice. You have to say, we love you anyway, and you belong here anyway. And you can vote yourself off the island if you're not comfortable with the other people being here. But we are not going to ask anyone not to be here unless you're a person who's who's um, proselytizing or talking in, in hateful language about somebody. So in terms of how they disagree, I mean, it happens all the time. We have people who come in and, and want to make their case against the other communities, and we just don't hold space for it. Yeah, I want to get back to the physical space because what you've done at Village Exchange Center is pretty amazing. There's a whole story behind the space and it's even made its way into the independent film world. We're going to talk about that. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Equal Footing. I'm Dove Tusman. My guests Amanda Blaurock and Aliria Bejo. We're talking about coming home, immigration in America circa 2021. We'll be right back. No dicen nada, y al mismo tiempo 
lo esconde todo Igual que el viento que esconde el agua Como las flores que esconde el lodo I love that song. <laughs> Equal Footing with Dove Tuzman is brought to you by Mechanical Arts Capital. Mechanical Art Capital offers financing to watch collectors and watch dealers from anywhere in the world. Unlock the cash value of your watch collection or inventory through Mechanical Art Capital's guaranteed buyback contracts. For more information, call 833-209-0972. That's 833-209-0972. Operators are standing by. At Mechanical Art Capital, funds are wired to you quickly and discreetly in two business days or less. Your timepieces are stored in a secure location in Manhattan, New York, and you can have your watches back when you're ready. It's safe and simple. Get the cash you need. Contact Mechanical Art Capital at 833-209-0972 or visit them at www.mechanicalartcapital.com. All right, you're back on Equal Footing with Dove Tuzman, on with my guests Amanda Blaurock and Alidia Beju. Our number to participate in this discussion about immigration in America 2021 is 718, sorry, I almost forgot the number, 718-303-9090. You can also text a question if you prefer to not hear yourself on the radio at 917-428-4062. We do have a couple of text questions already right before we went to the break amanda we were talking about the physical space of village exchange center and the fact that you celebrate religious and cultural diversity Uh, i had somewhat crudely brought up the issue of the different perspectives i've seen it in my own life you know my both of my parents uh, i come from immigrants on both sides and I know that there are very different views of immigrant communities from other immigrant communities, and some feel others don't deserve to be here or didn't need it as much, or you know, even cross generationally, we have such a different view of immigration, you know, in in this time from a Mexican community, for example, than we do of Italian or Irish immigrants coming in the early 20th century, the late 19th century, and so there are all these distorted views, and the fact that that VEC or Village Exchange Center has created a space that's welcoming for so many different communities. Uh, it's extraordinary. I've had, the, I've had the opportunity to visit the center. And without giving away the punchline, tell us about how the physical space came into being and a little bit about the, I don't know how to put it, maybe the, re- the recent publicity on that topic. Sure. So about four years ago, my stepfather was the pastor of a Lutheran church called St. Matthew in Aurora, and there was a huge change in demographic. Um, It was suddenly where 80% of the refugees in the state of Colorado were relocated, um, and really where the majority of immigrants in the state are living. Um, And as a Lutheran pastor, he attempted for multiple years to kind of proselytize and bring people into their 
congregation and was really at the point of about to close. And we decided to make a proposal to their 30 members of their congregation who were in their 80s and 90s and said, look, let's let's do something different. Instead of closing and doing what's called holy closure um, in the ELCA um, Lutheran world, um, let's instead, why don't you donate the land, which is four lots of land in the church, um, to a nonprofit yet to be created, and we will just turn inside out and welcome the community. Um, and they voted unanimously to do so. And on January 19th, um, 2017, we incorporated and quickly created the Village Exchange Center. Um, and then within four years, we expanded right before COVID. We were at 21 resident partners or tenants, which are community organizations, um, and then also 16 programs for the community. And then post-COVID, we hit $13 million, um, budget where we were giving out those cash assistance. We're serving 5,300 people food. We have a village farms at Stanley Marketplace where we're um, doing a farm farming social enterprise for our community amongst multiple other programs that we ended up um, executed, executing during COVID. And then most recently, um, we, in the beginning, I had been in Cannes and I, I met our filmmaker, Rob Shearer, who was very interested in what we were doing and kind of this closure of churches, 10,000, six to 10,000 churches close annually. Um, and he said, you know, I would love to film this. And we talked about creating a short documentary or potentially a, a full length feature. And um, we created a short called My Father's House, and it's really about my stepfather, Marcel Naruki, his kind of his process of losing his congregation and creating Village Exchange Center and closing the church and then simultaneously turning inside out. And we most recently were in the Denver Film Festival and we're just in the American Pavilion Emerging Filmmaker Showcase at, for Cannes Film Festival, and we won the jury award this weekend. That's just amazing. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful story. And the imagery of these older parishioners deciding to have the legacy of their beloved church continue in such a beautiful way is really powerful. I, I, is, where can people actually see the short? Is, avail, is it available online, Amanda? It will be soon. So if people just pay attention to either our Facebook page Instagram or our webpage. Um, I don't know how you can put that out there now. Um, we will be doing some screenings in the next month. We are planning on doing three of them that will be online and then two in person. We also created a village theater out of that sanctuary space where we also have eight different congregations that worship as well there. Well, we'll put the social media tags and the, and the website in, in the show notes. But if you want to mention any one of them now, just in case someone's listening and they want to get right on it, feel free. www.villageexchangecenter.org. And then Village Exchange Colorado is our Instagram. And then Vec Aurora is the um, Facebook tag. Great. And before we, before we finish tonight, too, we'll... Uh, give a little uh, shout out so people can can uh, figure out how to donate as well. Is it a five, it is a five hundred one c three and you're doing great work, uh, Alidia. I, I wanted to uh, talk for a moment about a, a challenging subject and, and that also came up a little bit in our pregame, and it's the 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 concept of of integration 
And I think that for uh, people that consider themselves, I don't know, multi-generation Americans or whatever, although, of course, I, I'm the, the Franklin Roosevelt uh, quote of, you know, remember always that all of us, you and I especially, are descended from immigrants and revolutionists, always comes to mind when people think of themselves as a, a non-immigrant or as a true American or whatever whatever might be going through their, their head. We're all in this country, uh, children or children or children of immigrants um, and revolutionists. But immigration and integration are often uh, often put together um, with the idea that people need to melt into the pot. And that's been challenged as, as a doctrine in, um, in recent generations, thankfully. And I, in, I wanted to bring this up with you. You're Venezuelan. You're now also American. To what extent, to what extent do you find in your work that either you are trying to help someone integrate or assimilate or that the person you're working with or the family you're working with wants to integrate or assimilate? How, how often is that at the core of the work? Yes, um, you see that pretty often. Those people that are new to the community and want to, I mean, join our community. But what is something that I, I mean, I use my own experience. Um, I've never, I've always felt that I belonged here. I never felt that I didn't belong here. And even though when there were times that I was put in the situation that people were trying to put me down that I didn't belong here. So being able to step up for myself and advocate for myself, that was a, that made the difference to always stay strong. So I share my own experience with those people that feel that they don't belong here. I say, no, you're a human being. Just being a human being makes you be part of this uh, community. Uh, you have rights, no matter what your status is, your legal status is. And you just need to don't let people put you down. Yes, I do belong here. The fact that I'm not from this country doesn't mean that I don't belong here. Yes, I belong here. I have the same rights. Um, so I I speak by my own experience, and that tends to um, motivate them and inspire them. And so when they talk to me about experiences they have gone through, and I say, no, you need to be doing this. You need you don't. Let them do that to you, especially in in the education system that um, they tend to take advantage of those new families. And this, no, you have rights. You need to do this and this, and you have to ask for this because they don't know. So me being in that um, environment for so long in this country for 20 years, so I know the rights and I'm able to help them. Amanda, Yesterday, as I understand it, the Biden administration put into motion a what I'm sure is going to be a long legislative process, but put into motion the beginning of the process of a path to citizenship for uh, over 11 million undocumented uh, immigrants in the United States. And listening over the last couple of days to immigration activists and and policy uh, pundits, it seems like this is the most concerted and uh, progressive push 
for a path to citizenship that has happened to date. And the fact that a single party controls both the House and the Senate and the executive branch, of course, makes it possible, especially since it's a policy priority. It's starting at the beginning and we don't have of the term of the executive term and we don't have um, another congressional election for a couple of years is has that electric current kind of hit yet in your community? <laughs> it would seem to me if I were in your line of work that it would be, everyone would be a buzz. I mean, this, this is a potential tectonic shift. And I kind of alluded to this earlier, but it, are, are people still numb? Is it, does it feel to you in your bones like this is going to happen finally after people have been talking about path to citizenship for undocumented American undocumented people in America for 25 years but is is it going to finally happen so I hope so I I I don't want to be negative or or not um, positive about the possibility of it actually happening I think there's there's a hesitation because there's a lot of promises to this community and it's not as easy as people think. And there's a lot of um, barricades to getting certain things done. So I, I think there's a numbness. I agree. I think people, it hasn't really hit. I think it will hit as it gets rolled out and it gets approved. I like the idea. Again, I think perception is everything. And, and right now in this country to have somebody who walked in saying, I'm going to do this, um, is more powerful than whether or not it even happens, to tell you the truth. And I know that sounds weird to say, but I think the kind of feeling of being seen and that you're important enough to be day one presidency priority um, will have a dignifying effect on this community um, that will be lasting. And hopefully there's no missed promises and it does go through. Um, but again, I don't always think, other than the language that that the that the party in charge, so, so to speak, um, necessarily changes all of the immigration laws. Yeah, and it's and it's a tangled issue because it involves various agencies, it involves enforcement right. and and, uh, and 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 social benefits and and so forth. Alidia, what, one of the uh, ideas, I was going to say myths, but I honestly don't know. Maybe it, maybe it's true. One of the ideas that's out there around undocumented immigrants is that they are not contributing to the public coffers, that they're not part of the taxpaying community, but they're benefiting from public spending via education and health benefits and so forth. How true is that? Is is there truth to that, or is that is that a myth? So, I'll I'll go ahead and take that, um, and maybe Illyria, you can add into this. It's, I believe, it's five percent of, and, and don't quote me on that. I have to look it up. But the actual numbers: five percent of the workforce in Colorado is undocumented. Um, I believe it's a myth. Um, the community that we're talking about, most of them work. Um, a lot of them have ITINs where they're contributing financially to the community and to taxpayers. Um, what happened and the reason we were successful um, with the Lepion Workers Fund in raising $12 billion last year is because the people who were working 
um, were not able to receive, even though they contributed over $200 million um, since around 2008 into unemployment insurance in the state of Colorado, $208 million. However, we're not able to get a dime of unemployment insurance. I mean, those numbers are staggering. So you had people who, you know, what was it, 35 million people became unemployed and suddenly the same workforce, same people, side by side working, had no access to any type of relief, both CARES money, the federal stimulus checks, or unemployment insurance. But these are the people who are contributing and they're hard workers. And it's asking about the contribution. And I think from your perspective, Valeria, you know this community and how much they contribute but are unseen. And maybe you can speak to that. Yes. And 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 thanks to the Left Behind Workers Fund, we were able to um help those families that were being left behind with the funds that um, Village Exchange Center was um, working with. Um, so they um, there were so many complaints about that. I mean, we, we are contributing to this country. We are paying taxes. We, we have kids that were born here, that have been born here. So how come we are being left behind? So that's why um, these came together to help those people that were being forgotten and that are part of this, our community and they contribute a lot. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's very easily, it's very easy, unfortunately, to put people in one dimension. It reminds me of a, a, a one of my favorite playwrights, Max Frisch, who was talking about um, immigration into, I think it was Switzerland and the 1930s after, in, in the time of, of very high uh, inflation post-World War One. And, uh, and the Great Depression, and said we asked for workers, and we got people instead. And I think that there's a there's a humanity um, that needs to be uh, the central aspect of this dialogue, because when we think about it in terms of contributed numbers, uh, in and out, it it dehumanizes. And uh, if I'm understanding you correctly, Amanda, it sounds like, in fact people that are undocumented may be contributing more anyway than they are benefiting. Um, so it's it, these, uh, often these, these myths are, uh, are particularly destructive. You know, Amanda, I, and having known you before your work on this issue, um, I am driven to understand better what, brought you so close, as I've perceived over the years, this extraordinary uh, passion and expertise. Um, you've, you've been involved in uh, work with the governors and, the, and mayors, and, and uh, you're, you've really become an important voice, not only in Colorado, but nationally on, on this issue. Uh, what drove that? You're you're not a classic you know, child of an immigrant. Um, you know, you, you, weren't, you weren't living in Colorado, uh, you know, much prior to this work. Can you let us in a little bit on your personal journey? Sure. I, my, both of my parents are not immigrants, but my grandparents are. Um, both my dad's parents are from Russia and Hungary, Jewish immigrants, and my mother's father was from Sicily. Um, but that probably wasn't it. I, I, I can tell you that doing this, it, it was so authentic and easy. It was so downstream in terms of 
growing up going to Japanese school um, when I was six years old for eight years and then getting a degree in Japanese and then being around um, people from different backgrounds and studying Spanish and German and and being from a half Jewish family and a half Christian family with my mother and stepfather are, are Lutheran ministers and I just, it felt authentic just to accept people and really create a space that actually celebrates humanity and includes everyone. And that felt easy for me to do and to believe in 100%. And we try as best we can to stay out of any political sides. We really believe that creating this space of celebration will make change in a way that anything you do on TV or any political efforts, it's so hard to actually make the change of what we're doing on a daily basis and what we're seeing. The service we're providing, we're giving 5,300 people food per week right now. People feel dignified and loved and that they belong, and this is their community center. And that feeling will have so much more of an impact than so many other things that I've ever done in my career. And, and being a lawyer for 19 years and practicing international law, I'd never done immigration law, as you know. Um, it was an easy kind of, of effort to really create this wonderful organization and create the relationships necessary to do so with the congressman and the mayor and our natural helpers program is a partnership with the city of Aurora office of international and immigrant affairs that we implement. Um, I am on the Adams County um, um, rescue response committees, um, just getting very, very active to get other people behind the idea of inclusivity. And, and someone once said to me, you know, they, they ran for office out of love. They ran out of love. And I thought, wow, you know, Chloe, you've you've known me for, I don't know, 12 years. And and I've never been one to watch the news and know all the law, even though I'm a lawyer, but I have very strong and passionate beliefs. But I stay out of the political side and really just try to stick to the core of what I believe in. And I, I think that somehow caught on when we started right after Trump came into office and was really spewing a lot of hatred and divide. I wanted to do something that actually brought people together. And it worked. It's been amazing to me to watch how you've actually had bipartisanship in the work that you've done. And yeah. and I want to come back to that uh, after the break. I'm going to take one more break here. We'll be back on equal footing in a minute with my guests, Alidia Bejo and Amanda Blaurock. We're talking about coming home immigration in america circa 2021 we'll be right back i've been watching you for some time can't stop staring at those ocean eyes burning Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. 
And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. I've been caught. All right, you're back on Equal Footing. My guests, Amanda Blaurock and Alidia Bejo, we're talking about immigration in America 2021. It's a new day. It is a new day. The Biden administration has made it clear that a path to citizenship for the over 11 million undocumented people in America is a priority for this administration. I want to talk about politics without talking about politics. Amanda, before we went to the break, we were talking about the fact that you like to stay away from the partisanship. And without getting into any details that you don't feel comfortable with, I know that recently, uh, in even in the experience of your board of directors at the Village Exchange Center, you've had to deal with the uh, kind of third rail right now um, that's in American politics and the fact that it's, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult, let's say, for people to voice their opinions on certain issues without kind of getting shut down. I'm being a little cautious of my language. I don't want to, again, reveal any details you don't feel comfortable with. Let me put it this way. How have you dealt with building constituents, stakeholders, a board from different parts of the political spectrum that that works, that doesn't uh, kind of break down upon itself and help support the mission? And for others out there that are running similar organizations or working in immigration advocacy work around the country. How important is it to follow the path that you followed around creating a, a bipartisan group? I believe it's critical right now more than ever. Um, I will explain this through a grant request that uh, we applied for last about a year and a half ago, and it was a very um, conservative foundation, a very large one. And their request was asking for programs that reflect helping others help themselves. And that's easy. You know, that's what we're doing. We're doing empowering programs and workforce development and, you know, we're creating farms and jobs and everything so that people have an ability to help themselves. And that goes across the board. That's easy on both sides. And I most recently, you know, seeing what's going on in this country, I was saying some someone today that the what's going on reminds me of of the end of an NFL game or when somebody has a touchdown they're no longer allowed to gloat or they wouldn't weren't I don't know if they still are I'm not I don't keep up with NFL but I remember that was an issue and I thought you know all of this on either direction is what creates the divide even further and that lack of understanding and the intellectual dishonesty of both sides is creating such a massive divide there are 50% almost of this country that believe something different and no one wants to even hear the truth anymore. And so for me as a libertarian and creating a space that really includes religions that are fighting overseas and, and, and cultural groups, racial groups that hate each other overseas, you really have to decide that you're just not involved and stick with the mission of celebrating one another and creating empowering programs to celebrate one another. 
And that has been the only thing that's probably made us get to where we are. I mean, we have our congressman is a Democrat, um, Congressman Crow. He's been our biggest supporter. He gave us congressional recognition the beginning of last year, right before COVID hit. And our mayor, who is another one of our biggest supporters, is a Republican. And I'm very proud that our board was a diverse board in terms of our of their political affiliations and I will continue to make sure that it is so because I want everyone to feel like what we're doing is not divisive so I think it's extremely important right now that's that's important to hear Alidia break that down for us a little bit in terms of the environment and atmosphere at the Village Exchange Center Um, what is it like to be uh, a an immigrant, uh, whether you're undocumented or not, and you're walking into that space uh, looking for help. And how has that environment been affected in the context of the COVID pandemic? Well, it's beautiful to walk into VEC and see how welcoming each one of us is. No matter what's going on right now in the world um, with the pandemic, Everybody is welcome. I mean, we don't shut the doors on people's face. I mean, we tell them what's going on. We ask, um, we ask them what what's their need, what what they are there for, and then we we refer them to to any resource if we don't have it at VEC. I mean, we refer them. It's a referral thing. So it's we we still even with the crisis that we're having, we we want them to feel that they belong there. They are welcome, even though they we cannot have them there. So it's 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 amazing the atmosphere that you feel you you breathe there at VEC, and uh, going back to what Amanda was saying that helping others help themselves. Yes, that's what we do as natural helpers. We help them. We we don't um, solve their problems. We equip them with tools that are going to help them be successful. And uh, so we empower them through this program, the Natural Helpers Program. We empower them to, as as members of this community, to help others. And with this program is so so valuable for the community and for Village Exchange members. Yeah, it's it's an extraordinary program that you guys are involved with. We I'm going to try to uh, hit uh, one of our text questions, and we also have a, a caller on hold. Um, the text question, I guess, could be for, for either of you, um, and, and it is, hold on, let me bring up the screen. Um, have you felt that there's a physical threat to your work in this politically charged time? I've condensed the question. I imagine, you know, it's in the context of what, we've, what we saw on January 6th in D.C., has there been any physical threat to VEC? Have you had to get extra extra security, et cetera, Amanda? Yes. We, um, two years ago, got an $80,000 grant from Homeland Security to put in 24 cameras. This year, we just received another 100000 We've had, last year, in the beginning of COVID, we had six different break-ins into the Village Exchange Center. In the past, we've had vehicles stolen, rocks through the door. Um, I most recently joined as a as a as a board member of the Anti-Defamation League, um, so I'm very aware of hate crimes and kind of the 
disconnect and dislike of being such a loving, inclusive place, because a lot of people don't agree with that, which is, it's a, it's a hard one to blatantly disagree with, because it's so obvious what we're doing, we don't hide it. Um, so it's, yes, we have seen the threat, and we have addressed it through funders and through um, a lot of security. Wow, that's, it's, that's very sad. Um, I think we've got Stan on the line. Stan, can you hear me? Good evening. Hi, Stan. How Hi, are Stan. you? Please make sure... Make How you doing? You, are you okay? I know you say you're isolating. Are you okay? Forget about uh, Are you all right? Uh, I'm okay, Stan. Just a couple more days and I uh, should be at home. <laughs> That's like prison, isn't it? <laughs> Not exactly. <laughs> anyway, let me make it my point. Uh, we had a previous president before this one, the uh, named Barack Obama, a Democrat. I thought a pretty decent Democrat. I wasn't happy with many things, a lot of things, yeah. But he did something that I absolutely approved of. He threw out two million illegal aliens uh, who didn't belong here. And that was a policy that was there. You didn't hear anything about it because it was correct to be done. By the way, it was done by ISIS bringing, getting these people. Now, under... Donald Trump, who I despise, I'm glad he's gone, he's the worst thing that's ever happened to this country. Uh, 1% of his program I did agree with. I don't believe in a wall, but I do believe illegal immigrants coming in in caravans it should be stopped. No one is entitled to be here. It's just because it's here. You have to pay a price to come into this country. I'm not talking money. It's called standing in line and doing what needs to be done, as many immigrants do, but many do not. And I'm sorry to say that maybe your organizations help in that regard. I hope not. I hope they are doing legal immigration. But under the Biden administration, uh, he will do what President Obama did because he was vice president. If there are legal immigration over a period, he will throw them out. Those that want to stand in line and participate in getting uh, to come into this country like anyone else did over the last 100 years, that should be done. But don't think that because we have uh, a Democratic president that will be, you know, anybody can come in here. That's not, we can't afford it anymore. We're broke. We're sick. We have a disease. Uh, millions are out of work. Uh, budgets are tight. People are broke. The state of New York is broke. So I understand what these ladies are doing, but uh, I also understand the situation as it really is. Anyway, that's my point. Thank you, Dove. Thanks, Stan. We only have less than a minute, so uh, I appreciate Stan bringing that that uh, perspective to the table. Amanda, do you want to quickly address that? Yeah, thanks for bringing that up, Stan, and, and that's exactly what my answer was previously regarding the optimism in Biden. I, I think that this is the, the confusion. We don't call them human beings, illegal aliens. That's a, a status that really diminishes and demeans um, human beings, but Every administration has had changing laws around whether or not people are legal or illegal. And what happens is we bring them in when we need them, and then their visa runs out. And a multitude of complicated things have happened where people have needed to come to this country or are fleeing from very painful experiences. And I think the media most recently has really conflated and over-exaggerated this migration of people who are coming and they're going to come and, and hurt us and take something from us. There's plenty of space. And I yeah. don't... Yeah. There's space. I'm sorry to interrupt because we're up on time. Okay. There's space for all. Una mesa.
mezcla de miel y café me recuerda el sabor de sus besos el color del final de la noche me pregunta dónde fui a parar 